Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your word. We're grateful for um, the desire you've implanted in us to pursue it, that we would know what you want, we'd be able to prove your will to ourselves, that we might live lives uh, acceptable. In your son's name, amen. Okay, as warned, because I accidentally stumbled into a series on Ephesians, and I, I have to admit, when I woke up this morning, lying like a beached sea lion in my tub, going, what am I going to be talking on? Oh yeah, Ephesians. Well, that kind of made it easier. I didn't have to spend half an hour looking for a passage. I knew it was going to be in Ephesians 5. So it gave me a certain rest for the soul, right? I was not in a hurry here. I can get out of the computer and start typing away. Then I remembered it was Ephesians 5. You know, the women could be rioting by the end of it. Like uh, uh, main ads in Rome in the Augustan age, tearing pastors limb from limb. Because when, when we have... A, a passage so famous for a, a set of remarks that you, you, you always feel like you're apologizing. I'm sorry Paul had these views, but you know, Paul had these views. You find yourself twisting the scriptures, or wanting to twist the scriptures, or at least not have them land so heavily on people. But as I looked at the passage, I realized that, especially Leslie, Leslie and I have done a lot of relationship counseling, uh, seminars, you know, young men, young women, marriage, child rearing. We've, we've, we've studied people, people live with us, and we've have formed opinions. And so naturally, we've been in Ephesians 5 before, and I have a kind of a shtick I go through with that. But as I was looking at it, I was realizing a couple of things. Paul, in verse 32, just skip down there, it's not, it's not a spoiler. This mystery is a profound one, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Okay? First, first thing I want you to be thinking this morning, maybe the only thing I want you to be thinking this morning, that the apostle thinks that it has to do with Christ and the church. So we're going to look at it in terms of Christ and the church. It's going to trickle down to you and your wife, you and your husband. But first, let's look at it in his sense of what's the ordinately higher thing. Second, the first verse in, uh, on the page, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, and then we step into the difficult portion, the unpleasant Victorian um, wives submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. I want to let you know that the whole section here on the page is a follow-on on this phrase, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. He goes, wives, husbands, verse 1 of chapter 6, children, then fathers, then slaves, then masters. And he gives instructions how, out of reverence for Christ, each one of those is subject to the other. Okay? So, 
don't get the, the reason this whole passage here is not so that we can have a sermon on marriage, but we have a sermon on how the Christian is subject to one another. Because in America, you don't like doing that. You don't like having, you, you sort of always picture yourself, you're not this great. Who's, who's a Gerard Butler, played Leonidas. And you always sort of picture yourself standing on the edge of a well in Sparta, kicking the Persian dignitary into a, to his death, yelling, we are Sparta. Because you think of yourself, there's nobody tells us to bow. We bow to no man. Well, this is what we're going to talk about this morning, this little problem. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it's amazing how fast verses can be turned on their heads. It's very natural for us to see a set of instructions following of how wives should be subject and husbands should love and children should obey and dads should not exasperate and masters should be loyal and, and I mean, servants should be loyal. And because, as I've mentioned to you over the last few Sundays in Ephesians, we are tempted to always take up a religion that is designing a set of obediences to impress our God. We see admonitions, instructions, descriptions as something I've got to go do as a path to my reverence for Christ. Because certainly that must be what Paul meant, to be subject to one another as a path to a reverence for Christ. That we would learn how to be servants one of another. And it sounds good. He advised people, you know, learn to be a servant. Because as you learn to be a servant, you draw closer to Christ. But he doesn't say that. Not that you can't think about being a servant. But it says, be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. The subjection comes after the reverence for Christ. This is what Christianity is about. This is why the new covenant is the new covenant. You are being made by God into his religion. You are not crafting a religion, an idolatry of Christianity that we offer to Jesus. Whatever the, the form it takes, whatever the theology it takes, whatever the rules it takes, you do not get to craft a religion to offer to God. God is crafting you into his religion. Your reverence for him is out of which my subjection to my fellow Christian occurs. There is a, uh, a danger in this thought. Because initially that sounds kind of spiritual. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I remember those of you who've been around to talk to me about it before, you know that I, I stressed a lot of that in uh, Lewis's uh, That Hideous Strength, where Jane um, uh, Studdock. Uh, learns submission to God. She learns what God means, Maladil in that situation. 
and then submission to ransom, and then realizes that her kind of loser of a husband, she's been sent back to her husband out of her submission to God. Not because her husband merited it, because so often we don't. Have you seen, I just saw, I was doing something, getting the sermon ready, and there was this video playing on my computer screen, my Facebook page of, of um, a, a couple that, that had a tragedy in their relationship because of a conversation that occurred. Did you see this, where the, the English couple, and they're interviewing her afterwards, and, and she asked him, what are you thinking about right now? And she expected him to say something like, wouldn't it be nice to bring our kids someday back here? Or, uh, this is everything I want to be here with you. And what did he actually say? You know, pigs are bigger than you imagine them to be. <laughs> We've just seen some pigs. Because that's what men are like, ladies. And you're going, what? Submit myself to this, <laughs> subject in everything to the pig-riding lord of my domain. Because when it says, wives, be subject to your husbands, then it says, as to the Lord. Because all of our subjection is out of reverence for Christ. When you're measuring the merit because, remember ladies, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How, let's just imagine that you're reasonably pretty. Just imagine that. Do you think there are any hotter chicks in this world? Why, yes, there are. Quite a few. On billboards. TV. You might not stack up. Just like your husband who likes to think about riding pigs. You might not be all that. You might not cook that well. You might be a little tough to have a conversation with because, you know, you're a woman. So be aware that both of us are facing that which we might not merit. And if you're saying, let's get this done, overriding what you're reading the other person to be. She's not that pretty. I love her like Christ loves the church. He's not that bright. How can I submit to him? As to the Lord, in all things, for heaven's sake, Paul, what are you doing? Well, you know... We, we really are in a, a circumstance where it's not because our husband or our wife doesn't merit. What we're instructed to do is that actually Christ in your mind does not merit what you're instructed to do. You have allowed yourself to set your walk with Jesus Christ kind of to the side, kind of like, you know, uh, marriage is emblematic of Jesus. but It's not really me and Jesus here, but it actually is you and Jesus, your reverence for Christ, out of which you will subject yourself to one another. So, when things aren't going, going well, some 
some family tiffs, the wife is looking a little bit less than, uh, what was the line out of Woodhouse? While not actually looking disgruntled, he was far from looking grumpled. And you can see that on the face. A couple walks in, there's at least four feet between them. They're coming to church together, God help them. When things aren't going well, when the non-Christian husband is present in their life, the fool, the complete failure as a woman, doesn't ask us whether or not they deserve it, because you're doing it on the basis of whether Christ deserves it. As to the Lord, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Remember that when, when, when he died for you? What was he, he died for again? It was because, you know, he really needed more Scotsmen in heaven. Was that it? No, because we sinned and we were awful. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, it was because she was an awful wife. She was an awful date. She was an awful woman. The kind you don't want to be with. And he said, okay, all right, hold my beer. Having cleansed her, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy, and without blemish. Now I want you to not only think, because that's not talking about married life. Too many people don't realize that's talking about Christ and the church. Uh, I don't think it's bad to suggest that you wash your wife with the water of the word. Yeah, yeah knock yourself out. But he's talking about Christ. But it's important that you have this view of Christ. It's important that you believe that he is trying to sanctify, cleanse, and present it to himself in holiness. It matters. Christians differ on this point. You can go to heaven and not agree with heaven on this point. Many Christians don't believe that holiness is one of the things you ought to be considering as a possibility. But it seems to matter here that Christ is after it in you and after it in the church at large. That she might be holy and without blemish, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Do you, because I'm telling you at the outset, and I'll tell you again at the end, that what your view of Jesus Christ is, what your faith in him, what you see him as accomplishing and what you are serving is your exemplar for how these other relationships are functioning. So when it says to the wife, submit yourself as to the Lord, and you go walk into that home and you see some sort of, uh, I'll just say, less than submissive behavior, it's not just that it's a bad home, she's got a bad walk with the Lord. Her example is not 
the Jesus Christ that is trying to do this. Now we know that the church is not that obedient to Jesus, just like most marriages. But we're not trying to have our marriages look like the actual relationship between Christ and the church. We're trying to say, my marriage is a metaphor for what Jesus is after. My, my husbandry, if I'm a husband, I should be after presenting a, a wonderful woman to myself without blemish. Because, and my love for her is the path I'm going to take for that, right? Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And remember, this is all talking about how does this category be subject to the others out of reverence for Christ. A wife is subject to the will of her husband. A husband is subject to the needs of his wife. Both of them, their reverence for Christ is the guiding um, and represented uh, truth. Paul, unmarried guy, says, I think this has to do, I think it's, it's really mysterious, but it has to do primarily with Christ and the church. Because that's the real thing. That is the thing that is actual. You do know that Jesus said, in heaven there's neither marriage nor given in marriage, right? What you get, you get here, and that's it. I know the Mormons promise you something else, but this isn't a Mormon church. Okay? And... I know you love her very much, and how can you imagine that I know people? I can't give up my wife, even for Jesus. Now, they're romantics. They're done. Because we got it. I don't care what you think it is in heaven. We're not married. We're not get, get, given in marriage. And, but we, we, we are given to Christ, or the church is presented to the Christ without spot or blemish. In holiness. Now, there is a, uh, a problem that, that comes of this. It's not just people who say, okay, here are the instructions for marriage. We're going to try to overcome this somehow. We're going to either find a church that is not really strong in gender distinctions, or, okay, what else can we do? Oh, we're going to be apologetically, there, there are people who are egalitarians, okay? no distinction, what is this doing in the Bible? Then there are the complementarians, what I, which I find are fraidy cats. They are people who know that nobody allows them to say there are distinctions, so they talk about role distinctions, which is sort of like a very obsequious set of men apologetically saying, we're really sorry, but Jesus put us in charge. The Bible has a different way of looking at it. It's not complementarian, it's not egalitarian. It's uh, verse 28, even so husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. And I want you to notice also, it's not, not that word count is mattered. Look how few words it required to talk to the women. You just gotta do what he tells you. Okay. Okay, I know, I don't like that, but I, I know what that means. The guy said, you've got to love her, even when she's not lovely. And this is in a world where 
romance was not the guide for who you married. For most of human history, romance was not the guide for who you married. Romance occurred, but it wasn't the guide. And we get confused because, oh, if I can't do it by sheer will because I was told to, some sort of philosophic construct of different roles or whatever, other, other church uh, ministries try to strike up more romance so you think she is the trophy wife that she'd need to be to actually get your love. That you think he is the wisest man since Abraham. And you're just, oh, he's just so, I love him. How can I not do this? Or we're actually being told to do this, like in, in Peter, when it tells wives to be submissive to their husbands, it's talking about a non-Christian husband. And how they'll be one without a word when they see the behavior of their wives. This is not a situation that is applied to people who are walking hand in hand in the first throes of love. It's about 15 years in when you realize that she has more thought for grocery prices than she does for you. And that's a little disturbing. Or a deal, the deal, the coupon half off the clearance rack. You're not worth that much. So we better go to something else. The something else that God has given us is membership. It's not egalitarianism, both trying to negotiate out of the other your fair share of the territory, and the other is let's try to pretend to look like the Bible talks about knowing all the while that we're really equal. We're coming here and says, verse 28, so the husband should love his wives as their own bodies. Not as an equal body, with her own rights and her own ways, and her own need for affirmation and fulfillment. No, their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, because that's how having a body works. It's amazing. It's amazing how much care goes into me walking through a dark house in bare feet, I'm very conscious. As I age, I'm aware of just going downstairs with shoes on, in the light. Why is that? Well, a few weeks ago, some of you know, I, I took a tumble uh, almost into the tub, tore some muscles in my, whatever they're called, muscle. And just before that, I took a tumble on the ice and a, a very undignified moment. And just, just last day or so has the last vestige of pain left. It's been a month and a half. Because life is trying to knock me over. And why do I move slowly? Why do I move with care? Bill and I were talking about, you know, the things that beset us in age. Well, because it's my body. Now, my body... Oddly enough, when you get up in the middle of the night, don't feel any need to call me up and say, Evan, I'm going down for a glass of milk. Would you like to worry? For you? No, I don't care. You could fall down the sta stairs, end over apex, end up in the hospital, and I will, I'll, I'll pretend to care, but I won't. I won't lie awake going, oh my gosh, somebody in the church is wandering around their house without shoes on, and Legos are owned by their children. 
Have you ever knocked your little toe against the side of something? It's amazing how much you care for that toe. Because you know what? I don't care for your feet at all. I care for my feet. It's my body. Now, it's not a lot to look at, but it's mine. And when my foot hurts, and it does every once in a while, it's amazing how much that consumes me. Because nobody hates his own flesh. I don't have to think about falling in love with my feet. I don't even like them. They're not good looking. They really are not. Um, they don't work well. Uh, and yet, they're mine. Now, I'm sure you feel the same way about your feet. He who loves his own wife loves himself. You have got to have this notion what you believe about Jesus Christ, what he's trying to do with the church, and the nature of the relationship. It is a body. He is the head. The church is the body. The nature of church heads and bodies is the bodies do what the heads say. And, wonderfully, the head cares what happens to the body. It's not some arrogant, you know, rat bastard response to, well, I just, I'm in charge, and being Father Abraham about things. It's your foot. It's the dark. She is in jeopardy, and she is your body. As much as you view Christ caring for his body, and how much you want him not to be a crippled God, because that's what we're, that's what we're allowing to be created in our minds. Our God isn't really up to doing great things in his church, and two, his church never responds correctly. So we're just asking, Jesus has MS, Parkinson's, you know, cerebral palsy, something like that. His body is not going to do what he tells it. And then we design our religious representation of that in our families to match. But once you have it clear in your head what Jesus is trying to do, who is he really to you? What is he trying to do? And what is the nature of the relationship? It is bodily. It is not contractual. Oh, you might have made a contract and signed it at the courthouse. But you've become one. Even when, it says in Corinthians 6, even when you visit a prostitute, you become one with that woman. This is metaphors within metaphors. Sex is a metaphor of the union that is desired between man and woman. The union between man and woman is a metaphor for Jesus Christ and the church. For no man hates, ever hates his own flesh. If you as a husband are sitting there going, using something that rhymes with itch, no man ever hates his own flock. These should be signals. When you can't do this and rejoice in doing this, it means you, not that your husband's a, you're a dork. It means that you don't have the view of Christ. You don't have faith in Christ. You don't reverence Christ as Lord. That's, it's, it's on you. Because who you think of Christ as, when he turns and says, you know, you're representing me in how you treat your wife. 
How much did I love the church? How much did I put up with? How patient was I? How much cared? How much did I give to build her up as a church? That's how much you need to show your wife to build her up. If you hate your wife, you prove that you don't see her as your own flesh. Because people who have even the worst of possible circumstances still feed it, still nourish it, into the verse there, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church. Because it's automatic, folks. This is, it's not, oh, I didn't realize that. I have to vision it this way, think of it as my own body. No, I have to look at Christ and the church as him delivering a body to himself and it's emblemed in marriage, talked about in marital terms. As Christ does the church, nourishment and cherishing are part of the deal. If you don't, if you don't care, if you don't like her, I'm sorry. But it's fixed by you and Christ, not fixed by you and her. You and she. For this reason, and he quotes Genesis here, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Sort of the archetypical message of marriage coming out of Adam and Eve. And it's a matter of rapprochement. I've told that to many of you in terms of the mojo. That's what God did. He says, Here at last, a bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Therefore she'll be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Because she was taken out of man, therefore, a man shall leave his parents and go find a woman to reunite with. God would like to be reunited with his people, the people he made. He made in Christ a path to that reunification. When we use the word atonement, it is actually the word at one meant. It's at one meant. We're brought back, rapprochement with God. We had at, at one put into place. And once I start thinking what my reverence to Christ is rooted in, that I see it as cleansing and building as a husband, that I am subjected to serving her, regardless of her condition, and that she is subjected to obeying the husband because of how she views Jesus Christ. It all matters what you see Christ as being. The mystery is a profound one. It's not light reading. Simple. Simple to say, but not light. You go through enough years, Leslie and I have been married almost 40 years. And I'm sure there's been some times when I have failed. I'm sure. My wife never has. I get points. You know that these things happen, but I'm telling you where the thought ought to go. All of our subjection is out of reverence for Christ. Wives, husbands. I'm saying it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. 
and see the, uh, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Think in terms of who Christ is, what it's all about, what he's attempting to do, how highly you value it. We say reverence Christ. That's what you're measuring. It's how highly do you think of him for what he's attempting to do. If you don't think of his atoning work as that important, it's going to trickle down to your life and you'll only be doing contracted, negotiated things to try to get along with the spouse. But if you're made to someone who reverences this kind of relationship, membership, holiness, it's cherishing, it's loving, it's obeying, and you know how that works, that trickles down to how you treat your spouse. It doesn't stop there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, in the Lord. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you, that and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Oddly enough, it seems like the fathers who do this next part, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, it's almost like, no, discipline and instruction of the Lord, I have to have annoyed children. That's what you're, that's what you're designing, right? Kids that just can't stand you. No, it's, it says you may not exasperate them, you cannot annoy them. You're not supposed to provoke them, you failed if you did. But it's the instruction of the Lord. The children obey the parents in the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your earthly masters with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, as to Christ. All of this is be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. You have a particular relationship, maybe a business one, maybe a family one, a romantic one. You're looking for how your reverence for Christ informs it. You are, uh, have a choice, basically. <coughs> You're either a failure, what you, what you do either uh, fails to reach desirable qualities in your marriage, or in your children, or in your work, or you have you ever seen Christians pose as, you know, they sort of figure out what the look is and they look modest? You know, they got, what, what's the modesty design? What's the design of, of a circumspect, well-disciplined family? There's failure, there's posing, and there's reflection. You either are the reflection of what Jesus Christ is, and then you see in obedient children real love for their parents. The thrill of being with them, knowing that they care for their children like Christ cares for the church. As you step into the passage like this, too often what the church is up to in every generation is kind of trying to re reflect trends that are going on in Christian thinking. Who cares? Jesus Christ is who we are reflecting, not trends in Christian thinking. 
not what is allowed. I was talking with a friend about, uh, you know, the current kerfluffle about LGBTQ, LNMOP uh, uh, rights, concerns in the church. And I said, why, why are you trying so hard? You're saying, yeah, you're saying it's wrong. You're trying so hard to not offend. I hope you're that way with the greedy, too. Oh, no, greedy. But nobody likes the greedy. Nobody likes the arrogant. Nobody likes the sinners who are not, don't have a trend in a PR firm running their sins through the educational system of the world. Wouldn't that be great? That in a public school you could have a little class that told you how to be, you know, really to be understand the ambitious and the greedy. You know, people who rip you off badly. Because they're people too, you know? We're not trying to build a religion that, ref what is it reflecting? Some people reflect the world. They want the world, they want the approval of the world a lot. So they reflect the world and how they structure their families. Oh, did you know that, that the world has told us, recent discoveries show that egalitarianism has been great since John Locke? Huh? Knock yourself out, see how it works. It's awful. Some people, tragically, design, want a religion that kind of reflects them. Not, it's not reflecting the world. And they're kind of against the world, right? Contramundum. And against the world, and so you get almost, starts to look kind of biblical because they're against the world, which is sinful. But it starts to look like them. Their marriages start to look, their, their, their Christianity, God, their view of Jesus Christ starts to reflect what they're like. So if they're an intolerant son of a whatever, so is Jesus. We're supposed to be actually, it's supposed to be the other way. He gave himself up for the church. He sacrificed himself. When it gets into slaves, be obedient to those who are your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Listen to this. Look at the description. In fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, as to Christ. Not in the way of eye service as men pleasers. So it can't be the posers. You don't, you're not a good worker so that everybody will pat you on the back and and, and, and think, uh, think well of you. But you're doing it for Christ, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to men. How many times different ways do you have to say it? That you have got a relationship with the divine. You do or you don't. If you're struggling in your relationships with parents, with children, with husbands, with wives, all the basic with your employment situations, if you're wondering why your Christianity isn't bearing the kind of fruit you want, it's not because you don't have the right plan. If you just go back down to AT&T and sign up for the right number of minutes, and no, it's not that. It's you don't know Jesus. Not because you're not a Christian, but you haven't thought this all comes out of who Jesus is to you. If he's not for holiness, 
If he's not trying to cleanse you. If he doesn't love you when you're a complete toad, you don't have the standard. Servants of Christ, as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same again from the Lord. So when you, got, you don't just get this right. You don't just say, okay, I got the right, right Christ, what he's up to, and then I, I have the reverence for him. It's not just right theological Christ. It's the right reverence in you for that Christ. That you serve and worship the divine who is like this. And then he can say, you know, what you revere me as, why don't you go do this? And you go, yes, sir. Happy to. Yes, sir. Obey my parents? You bet. Obey my husband? You bet. Love my wife? Sure. Not a problem. You have said so, and you're the greatest. One of the problems that people don't like, it's much easier to design this idolatrous Christianity where you design a Christian religion that kind of suits the trends and suits your personality, and then you can offer that to God instead of what he wants. Because, you know, if you do what the Lord says, if you do it the way the Lord said, and you eventually, as a wife, come around, you know, I, I have uh, a real devotion to serving my husband's interests, and I would like to do everything he says within the confines of the Lord's allowance, but uh, because I love God, and I want to do what my husband wants. Your girlfriends might not like you much anymore. We can't be aware that bowing to Jesus Christ will affect the way you're a father, husband, wife, child, employee. It'll affect it all. We're not to be men-pleasers. Those sorts of obsequious posers are exactly doing that. We're to be doing it as God-pleasers and God-imagers. Masters, do the same to them and forbear threatening. It tells the master to have the same kind of function in his life that the servant, the slave has. And all of us are sharing this. If, if, if some of you are wives, some of you are single, some of you are husbands, some of you are children, but all of us in Christ have the same situation with the same Lord. He has a standing that I revere or I don't. Do you revere Christ to the level? And do, not that we have a good worship program here, because that's temporary. We're not that kind of worship. You're reverencing Him. It's, it's simple Reagan trickle down economics. You get your walk with Jesus Christ worked out. Know who he is, how much you reverence him, he can ask anything of you. Anything. You will get, and and, the result is, also, down on the ground, you will get the life, the kind of religion you reverence in, in that life. What's your religion? Well, it looks like in your life. That's what it looks like. No, no, you can't, don't claim orthodoxy. Don't claim, I've got traditional Christianity going on, because who Christ is and who you reverence is going to change 
how you serve one another. As children, as slaves, as masters, as husbands, as wives, all of it hangs on as to the Lord. So where are you with the Lord? Let's thank him. Dear Lord God, we're grateful. We'd ask you to bless this morning's uh, time in the Word. Help us speak to you about it. In your son's name, amen. On the back of your sermon notes,